You can light your cigar now. Yay. I want to press the button this time. Alright, it's right there. Which one? First one, right? You gotta oh, yeah. hold it down. Here we go. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. Um, let's start off by talking about how much you smoke. Not very much anymore. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Not very much anymore. Not twice a day. Not every day. Yeah. I've been cutting back. Uh Cammy and I had a discussion. This is like a really boring way to start a podcast, I realized, because they're just listening to us cut our cigars. Yeah. So we gotta keep talking while, while we're doing, doing it. it. Okay. I know. I know you want to dedicate your attention to your first love. So, Ben and I, I, I think I wanted to know. I could definitely tell there was this vibe every time I smoked without him. Like, what are you doing? You know. And so. For a while, I just thought, oh, he's just doing that because he thinks these are his cigars, which I get it because, like, for years, they were just his cigars. But now that we're both smoking... And you're turning everything into, like, the patriarchy, like, don't tell me what to do. Yeah, well, I'm I'm going through some things, you know, but... Uh, so... Coaster for us. Yeah. So I actually wanted to know, though... You know, I even started to kind of have some concerns with, well, maybe I'm smoking too much. Like, I know, I'm pretty sure it's not as bad for you as cigarettes, but maybe it's still not good to do it every day. It's also a lot of money. So I actually really wanted to hear from him, like how, like, what are your reasons for why you don't want me to smoke maybe as much as I would naturally. And it was an interesting conversation um, and hard for me too, but I wanted to have it. I don't think you have limits. Like once you discover something and you like it, well, you do it until... I'll do it until I'm like, oh shit, maybe this isn't good. I don't know if it's fair to say I don't have limits, but I definitely have a history of going overboard with stuff and then like, oh, okay, maybe maybe that's not the best. Maybe I shouldn't binge watch a TV show every night back in well, the day. You, you'll stop. The only way you'll stop is when it's like done. <laughs> <laughs> like it's incon- inconvenient. To, like, get more cigars or inconvenience. No, because you'll drive to the store and buy more. Yeah. But I don't like to be inconvenienced either, so. So I, like, you know, I smoked for 10 years now, cigars. Mm. And. Wow, it's been that long. And I would smoke, like, for a long time I hardly smoked at all. But then when we moved to Kentucky for the last four years, I probably smoked at least, well, like, two a week. Yeah. Like, every Shabbat, Friday night, I smoked. Mm-hmm. And then at Guy's night on Tuesday night. 
Yeah. And then Cammy started smoking. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. Like, I can do something with my wife. Isn't it? I was like, <laughs> how fun. And then she's like, hey, it's uh, 1 p.m. You want to smoke? And I'm it's like, a nice day. It's <laughs> not under 60 degrees. Let's and go I'm smoke. Like, uh, no, I'm trying to get work done. She's like, well, okay. I'm smoking. And I'm like, wait, what do you? You can't just smoke every day. So Ben and I, you know, I could smoke every day. But I actually really did want to know, like, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to just do something, get all headstrong and just do something. So I actually really wanted to know what his concerns were. And I wanted us to make this decision together because this is both our money for the cigars. This is like our health, you know, and I don't know. I didn't want to ruin, you know, the experience I just feel like for me it was like a special thing and I was like I'm fine with even doing it for like date nights like we're doing tonight. Yeah. Um but I feel like with you it's like it's one PM. That's good enough reason to smoke like you turn it into a everyday part of your life and I'm like, hold on a second, is this something we want to be Yeah. Let's let's try to make that decision, not just it just like happens. Yeah. Or it happened. It's happening. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was. It was a good conversation. I felt like and, before I was probably being a little passive aggressive about it. Like, yeah, because you'd pull out a cigar yeah. and I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> really? Those are mine." I'm like, "No, they're not." But, but so it was, it was good to talk about it when it wasn't like heightened. Yeah. Yeah, and so our decision right now is to smoke together two or three times, probably really two times a week. Uh, two times with each other a week, and then Ben has his guys' night where he smokes, and I have a girlfriend that I smoke with once a week usually. So I guess that's three times a week for us, which isn't seven <laughs> times a week. Um, that's a compromise. <laughs> It, it is for me. Um, but I feel good about that. Uh, I think, you know, and I don't think there's anything morally wrong with smoking cigarettes or cigars every day. But it is a decision you got to make and there is there is a cost to that. So I feel good about it. I feel good about it too. All right. Which brings us to today's topic. We got a fun one here, I think. I think this could be like a nerdy brand of fun because I have a feeling like certain people that were raised like we were raised are going to get off on this stuff. And then the rest of everyone Good else for is going to be like, what? Who cares? <laughs> They'd rather hear us talk about cigars. Uh, but such is life. Yeah. And I guess with this podcast, we got to talk about the things that are interesting to us and hope that it helps the rest of you or at Um, least is interesting yeah okay so let's tell a little story here the year was 1996 and i had just broken up with my first girlfriend which incidentally wait wait what's the j no (laughs) 
No, no, no. What? What's that? But um, bum. Uh, that's this one right here. No. That's what I wanted. That's for like jokes. I know. It just felt right to me. I broke up with my first girlfriend, and then I was like, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make sense. I mean, like the serious story. I mean, you can do All like right. booing. I didn't want to boo. Oh, we could do. Nineteen ninety six. So, I broken up with my first girlfriend, um, which is a really big deal. We dated for three months, and oh, I planned this date for her. This thing was amazing. So, her favorite band, which so I worked at a radio station. I was a DJ. So Ben's, what, you're 16, 17? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I got this album from this band called All Star United. And it wasn't released yet. And it was actually a really good album at the time. And I gave it to her, and she loved it. And like I said, this is pre-release. So this is like special DJ inside shit. You know, it was like no one else had this. And it was like one of our first dates, and this band was playing in Orange County. So I said, let's go on a date. But I didn't tell her about it. Mm-hmm. And we end up at this place. And of course, like no one knew what these people looked like because there was no internet back then. Yeah. And all she had was a CD that had no cover on it or anything. And we walk in and they start playing the song that she knew. And she'd listened to this a ton. And, <laughs> and she's up at the front stage. She was not like you, by the way, where she was like, well, you met her. So yeah, she was like all about the like acting and the like she didn't mind being the center of attention she was like a mascot for Mm -hmm. football games so she's like up there like in the front singing every word the whole time uh with this lead singer you know wait she got up on no not on stage but i mean it was like a small show yeah the size of this basement yeah so and (laughs) and they were really surprised because no one knew their music because their album had not been released yet oh Anyways, I I knew that part. her name was Regan, and and she broke my heart because then she went off to college. She was a, a year ahead of me, yeah. and she said that she wanted the college experience, which meant non not me you because <laughs> <laughs> I was in high school. <laughs> no, that's so three months into this thing, so you got dumped. I was like, I think I cried. I must have cried. Oh. <laughs> Thinking that little 16-year-old Ben crying. It's so sad. I remember listening to this one song just again and again and mm-hmm. again. Um, that was on CD, of course. So you had to like push backwards. Right. <laughs> um, so then I came across this book. I don't know how I heard about it, but it was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. And I couldn't believe it. It was like everything I was looking for. It like answered all my problems at the time at the time of like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, I knew I shouldn't have dated. This is why my heart's broken. Dating is a dead end. And there's a better way, which really appealed to me because I was like, 
you know, I had kind of a funny dating story where before I dated this girl, I asked my dad for advice, which was kind of weird because he wasn't really the advice type giving dad. But I like really wanted to know, like, what does God want for me with dating? And I had seen all these other people like we lived right, right next to Newport Beach and all these people were like just it was like just party central and everyone always had a different girlfriend. And that didn't feel right to me. So when Joshua Harris came out with this book, it really it felt like the most right thing I had ever heard. Yeah. And so I kissed dating goodbye to a point where you and I started having romantic inclinations. Well, and I we had them were, for you for a while, but some, some of us take a while to get. And we were really strict about things. I think largely because of this book. Yeah. So first of all, we never called it dating. This is really interesting for me to process, actually. Yeah. Well, because we talked, we've talked about these stories a lot with each other and with people, but. To process it through this book is interesting to see what influenced us. And the basic premise of the book, you know, I actually don't, I mean, it was, it was 96 and what are we in? 2018. So it was at 22 years ago. I'm not even going to pretend to be able to represent what the book said. I I more know just how it made me feel. Yeah. And it was like an anti-disposable relationship book. It was like very pro-courting. Pro, for marriage. For marriage. Yeah. So your courting was like a way to get around. So you're not dating, you're courting with the intention of we're going to get married. Yeah, which honestly, you know, a lot of that I I don't really have a problem with to this day. I mean, like I said, I haven't read the book in 22 years, so I'm not sure what it actually says, but I still feel like there's a huge problem with the dating scene as it's practiced by popular culture. Um, so you and I, we like skipped dating in terms of the label at least. Right. But But, we basically dated. But we were basically dating for a number of months before we got engaged. But we had this whole time period where we didn't talk. There was like, and I I feel like this was your idea, but I agreed to it. But this is funny because I agreed to it, right? Um, so it was probably what four months, maybe long, of where are we. You, are you really gonna bring this up? Well, it's just interesting. It, it'll be fun, I guess. Four months where we didn't speak, and about a month into it, it was my birthday. Because I was I was in Bible college, mm-hmm. second semester, and you and I was living with my parents. I went back home, and I was thinking we could I could spend every night on the phone with you like wishing I was with you and married and miss out on the whole yeah my college life what I was learning in the relationships or I could not yeah I guess like I mean our intentions were good and that I think we wanted to like clear our heads and you know I guess you knew I was the one you wanted to marry at that point but I like I'd known it for 10 years (laughs) since we were 13 well okay Uh, 14 yeah whatever whatever but um but i didn't know for sure or i was second guessing like is he the right one for me because i you know i was really like oh i don't want to screw this up like i want to make sure like i'm marrying the one god has for me so that was kind of my mindset 
But it was my birthday and I was missing him and wanted to talk to him on my birthday. And so I call him up and he is like, what are you doing calling me up? Like we agreed that we wouldn't talk to each other and have no contact. And, and I was, and I can't remember if I cried on the phone, but I definitely cried after I hung up and I was just kind of devastated. And again, I agreed to it, but looking back, I'm like, that was really strict. Like it was like this, like lockdown. And like, that's just kind of how we thought back then was like black or white, you know, it needs to be this way. And, and it's like, well, why couldn't we talk like once a week? You know, why did it have to be like blackout for four months? Anyways, apparently I still have issues with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like if we're going to tell on funny stories, I feel like we got to talk about physical interaction before marriage, which is equally yeah. embarrassing. So Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, maybe we've talked about this before, yeah, but we don't yeah. talk about it much. So we had this thing where we're like not going to kiss until we got married, which we... Well, so... Dating, so we had different levels. So dating or courting, whatever the hell you want to call it, we really barely touched each other. Like maybe we you, we held hands. We held hands and we tickled. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ribs, people. We tickled ribs. Um, <laughs> Not ribbed. <laughs> um, but then when we got engaged... It was like like, all hormones got loose. And we basically, short of like intercourse, we like did everything short of intercourse and kissing. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's on the lips. Right, right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But we're like, well, at least we're saving that. And oh, it was just so. And it was looking back, it's like really funny and endearing. Oh, and it's so in Bible college. I had a copy of the cover of I Kiss Dating Goodbye on our door. Oh, your dorm door? Yes. Yeah. And we and we had a ton of shit on our dorm door. Like, yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. But, but that was kind of like our statement to the world of where we stood. I mean, which was mostly me. I think it was more me than my roommate. But, uh-huh. um, it was a bit of a prideful thing in that, like, oh, people are dating, we're not. Right. You know, because we have, like, this stricter, holier belief. Right. Okay, so married, six kids, fast forward, <laughs> 20 present years. day. Um, and... We still haven't kissed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I wish we kissed more, though. Yeah. Cammy's not super into I'm... kissing. Yeah, it's not. I like Ben a lot, and like I like kissing. For don't like, even. It's not the beard because some some no, yeah, people are gonna beard. be like, oh shit. I like kissing for like ten, maybe thirty seconds, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of over this now. And hey, there's days I'd be super happy with thirty seconds for me. Yeah, I think five to ten seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Preference, maybe. I'm not really sure what, but... Fantasy world. Um, okay, so then 20 years later, 
I, I, I guess I got to tell this other story. I end up talking to Joshua Harris on the phone. Like, what was this, two or three years ago? Yeah. And I forget how or why, but he was watching our vlog and was a subscriber at one point. And we were talking about video and then we talked about actually some personal things in regards to sexuality, which I'm not going to talk about here. Um, but then, uh, but it was just like, it was kind of weird because this guy was my hero at one point. I mean, he'd written the book that I had like based my what life off of. What is he, like four or five years older than we are? Yeah, I guess, which after a certain number of years, it kind of yeah. disappears. The, the age difference but it was really bizarre this guy i'm just like talking to him like a normal dude and you know but not so long ago he was a hero of mine um but then this week uh he releases this uh like press release apology type statement thing announcing and this had been in the works um but announcing that he is Sorry for all the damage his book caused to a lot of people over the years. And, um... Not publishing the book anymore. Pulling his book and the two books that followed it, which were kind of along the same series. And by the way, these became, like, bestsellers. In the Christian world. Yes. I, you know, I would love to know how much money he's made off these. Hmm. In, in one sense, I could imagine it being a shit ton because christians just love buying that kind of stuff yeah like um, it to i mean your, i feel like i've got two copies your, myself hand it to your kid and be like this will solve all the problems oh totally well it was it was like it was an icon you know i mean before yeah. that the book was passion and purity and that was like an icon it was like around for 40 years you know and yep. every christian we know had read it yep um so I could see it being a ton, but then I could also see, like, for some reason, like, publishers take a lot, and it just ends up not being as much as you think. So I don't know. But he's not publishing it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, and the way I found out about this is um, a guy that I follow on Facebook posted this. It was a really weird connection. I was oh. like, that's a weird way yeah. to find out about this. Yeah. And then someone in the comments was like, oh, makes a ton of money, and then shrugs his shoulders and says, sorry. And I kind of, like, retorted back to her. I was like, what do you mean he shrugged his shoulders? Like, he said sorry. What is he supposed to do? Uh, and he stopped publishing his book. Like, yeah. my hat's off to that dude for just anyone that says no to that much money or income stream or just swallows his pride in that way. And just sa- and just says, like, maybe, maybe, I think I made a mistake here. But he was fucking 19, 20. You know, it's like when he wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I mean, just... Give the guy some... Uh, yeah, but it, a lot of people are saying it hurt him. I'm not trying to discount that. I'm just saying, like, what more do you want? Well, see, that's what I asked. I said, what do you want him to guy? do? Like, you could have him... One thing I thought of, like, people are into nowadays is you could have him, like, donate a percentage of what he made to organizations that are helping people that got hurt. Okay. But the money's spent. Yeah. You know, so I feel like writing an apology letter, which I actually didn't read. I read paraphrased. Okay. And ceasing to publish the books, I think that says a lot. Yeah. I don't know many people that have stopped publishing a book because, I mean, maybe there's stories out there, but I haven't heard them. Yeah. I think it's pretty rare. Hmm. So, uh, but to get on with the conversation, um, he then wrote this ebook. As a 
that he referenced in his apology letter saying, if you want to learn more about what changed my mind, then you could read this ebook, which he's kind of claiming is a bit of a shitty cobbled together ebook. It wasn't like ever made for sale. It was kind of made just to, uh, from pieces of his writings while in college, I think through papers that he wrote. Like his process maybe. Yeah. And I forget what it's even called. Uh, I have it here. It's called books that changed my mind. And it's literally, I, I read it in about 30 minutes, and it's 27 pages, like ebook format. So it's, it's not, it's like a, three paragraphs a page about six or seven or eight different books that he read with like some summaries of how they impacted him. So that's what I want to talk about. I just want to read some of those paragraphs from that book and talk about it. Um, so he starts off with this f- statement uh, where when he announces that he's like changing his beliefs on these areas, people are like saying, have all sorts of different responses. Some people are saying this is too little too late, but others are saying that he was just buckling under social pressure, that he was like selling out in a way. At the time? No, now. Oh. Like there's people that still believe in that book. Um and are pissed that the guy that someone that's still a hero to them oh okay is like selling out essentially is how they see it right they're like oh the liberals have just got to him mm. um right right which right. i can really relate to that because i feel like our viewpoints on sexuality have changed a lot and i feel like people we've been pigeonholed their category for change yeah. is you're selling out or you're backsliding or taking the easy way out yeah you're you're watering down your faith you're becoming lukewarm like all those kinds of phrases which our way forward has not been the easy way out for us no no we've lost and i don't think it's because we're becoming more liberal yes i mean like i guess it depends on the definition sure yeah like i care about the things the same things I've cared about for all these years that made me who I was, I care about those things more now, not less, I think. And But I'm coming to some different conclusions at times. And a lot of people don't like that. Yeah. And it's, I, I sense that in him, too. Like, he's pursuing God as he knows him. Right. Or goodness or whatever he is he's pursuing. I don't want to claim to know the guy's heart. Yeah. And now people are pissed because he believes different things 20 fucking years later. Right. It's like... I would hope that you start... You know that you don't believe exactly what you did twenty oh, years seriously. ago. Okay, um, and he makes this comment. He says, "In my work as a pastor, this he's talking about when he was writing this. In my work as a pastor, I received overwhelming support from my mentors and my congregation, and failed to see how that presented me with a limited perspective. For various reasons, those people all had personal investment in the ideas of my book." which did not encourage me to reflect critically. Defending the ideas of my book became wrapped up with defending the faith. Part of my own journey in recent years has been a process ways in which I lacked courage and failed to stand up to church culture pressures and expectations. Hmm. And uh, yeah. that... I, I can really... I understand why that would be so hard 
to stand up to that church culture. But so this is the this is the line that, that spoke to me. It says, um, for various reasons, those people all had personal investment in the ideas of my book. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, what I realized was I was I've preached about a lot of different things over my life, um, and a lot of people supported me. And they're like, Ben, that is so awesome. You're so great. I love hearing that, brother. And then, so I'm thinking, mm-hmm. damn, these people got my back. Like, they really care about me. And they think that I'm really a cool guy or whatever. And then my belief on that thing changes. Mm-hmm. Or it's not what people thought it was or something like that. And then these same people, like... I look in my rearview mirror and they have bailed the hell out. They're like, now they're talking shit about me. Yeah. They've disowned. They stopped talking. They, you know, you name it. Yeah. This is not an uncommon story in our life. And that's when I realized that they were invested, like me being vocal about a belief that they also believed helped them feel better about themselves Mm -hmm. while I was talking about that idea. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when I started to change, it wasn't really me they believed in or my faith. Mm-hmm. It was actually just that it happened to overlap theirs. Right. And that was a really scary thing. I think that's what a lot of faith communities are. Oh, yeah. It's like we have a group of people around us that are all, it's kind of a what you, echo chamber. Yeah. And it's this illusion that, oh, we all really love each other and support each other, but then it's like a house of cards because as soon as something changes, do I need to stop talking? No, oh. I just gotta restart the camera, but you're fine. As soon as something changes, then, oh, wait, you, I thought you were my friend. I thought, you know, you supported me. And you realize, oh, this was just like a fan club, not, you know, a true friend. Yeah. And they were more committed to staying the same than they were to following a natural growth pattern Yeah. of us in this case. Right. So he's kind of just pointing this out that when he was younger, you know, 21, all these mentors and community are all scratching his back and applauding him and saying, dude, we're so proud of you. Yeah. And he's taken that to mean I'm doing the Lord's work. Right. And these people, you know, are altruistically encouraging me Hmm. when maybe a lot of what they're doing is saying, you're making our tribe look good and stronger and Mm -hmm. giving, like giving us some ammo here. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel... And you better keep on keeping on, because the second right. you stop, we'll bail on your ass. Mm-hmm. I, he didn't say that. I'm kind of adding that, because <laughs> that's our baggage. Right. But he says, yeah. what eventually happened, and I'm quoting this again, I could no longer write off criticisms of my book as angry people or people who don't like God's standards, because they had so much resonance with the stories I heard in my own church. Hmm. So he goes through some adult periods where I think he sees people kind of getting crapped on. 
And then, you know, he's gotten backlash from this book. Not so much in the beginning, it doesn't sound like, but maybe the last decade especially, he's heard, he's heard stories, and he used to just write off these stories. And be like, oh, these are just, you know, there's always going to be haters. Mm-hmm. Right? Haters going to hate. Yeah. But he started paying attention to those people, those stories a little bit more. Hmm. And being like, well, maybe they're not just haters. Yeah. Um, and he, he also used these other uh, phrases. These must be people who just don't like God's standards. You know, but he's like, oh, maybe these people actually do like God's standards, but they're actually impacted in a negative way by something I wrote so that I should be a little more reflective and look at what I wrote, which was a new thing for him. Mm-hmm. Or do I hold the key to what God's standards really is? Like, do I know exactly what God's thinking? And I don't know when you start not which, being so sure of yourself, which so in our own little journey. We got uh, our ass kicked a bit um, by some community that we have been involved in for a lot of years. And I actually want to tell that story sometime here. It's just, you know, not today. <laughs> um, Need a little more alcohol. And Kimmy needs two cigars at once. <laughs> and, uh, and as soon as we got, as soon as we were no longer part of this community, which sucked, by the way, let's just say that. But yeah. the good news was I started looking at all the other people that had been kicked out before us that we had been a part of kicking out. Or at least didn't question. Like, Yeah, I was like, second. oh, those people must not care about God, you know, if right. they're not a part of it. And I started to see all of them very differently. And I started to wonder, oh, my gosh, maybe, maybe they were – like maybe they deserved it and maybe they just didn't fit in anymore. Maybe in a lot of ways they were just like us now. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause we had written all of them off and I went through this process where I'm still in it, I guess I'm like trying to figure out how to unwrite people off that I had written off and it's been great. I've had to apologize to some people, Yeah. but it's made for a bigger world because before it was us and them. And if you were not mm-hmm. in the group or parroting these one certain phrases, mm-hmm. I felt like I knew all about you. I was like, Oh, well you're, if you're not this, then you're that. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying mm-hmm. um, that it, this caused him to question that too, which I think is cool. Yeah. So I can relate to that. So this, I guess this is the punchline though, in terms of his big apology. Uh, and you know, he, he apologizes for how it hurt people, but in terms of saying what's actually wrong about the book, he doesn't say a whole lot that I could find. And actually, like I said, I didn't read his, his, I read his abridged apology letter. This is all from the ebook, which I'll post the links below, but he says, I can see how the book's approach set standards and implied rewards that were not drawn from scripture, often inadvertently instilling fear guilt or a sense of unfulfilled promise so set standards and implied rewards and actually that wasn't the line i thought i was reading because somewhere it says maybe it's later on but it said it was like more overly uh specific but um I guess the thing that stands out to me here is that inadvertently instilling fear, guilt, or sense of unfulfilled promise. Now, the fear and guilt, I I actually, now that I'm reading this, I find it hard to believe that it says inadvertently. What does that mean? Inadvertently means like 
not on purpose. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's not on purpose and stealing fear. And I kind of feel like I'm, it was on purpose. The Yeah, so that you didn't cross the line. Yeah, because like, those fear and guilt are the primary tools often used to convince people to follow a specific to, behavior. To be a specific, to follow specific morality or... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the brands that he was using may have been inverted. And I don't think he was um, ill-willed about it. I don't think he was like trying to hurt people, but... When you're enforcing a moral code, quite often fear saying, if you don't follow this, then you're going to end up like this. And I know that book had some of that, you Mm -hmm. know, told these horror stories of people that had given their hearts away and had become bonded in all the wrong ways. And, you know, and now they're married and their marriage will never be the same because of this one breakup before or something. Yeah. But whatever it is that lifestyle you're pushing for, I don't think fear and guilt or false promises. He talks about false promises, but I, I wasn't really following him on that in terms of that didn't impact me a whole lot. Um, I think those are bad mechanisms, you know, that I think I, I'm glad he apologized for that. Hmm. Um, the next paragraph says, I think the problem with my book is that it overreacted. Oh, this is it. I think the problem with my book is that it overreacted and then overprescribed in its response to the potential problems of dating. The result is that people did experience restriction and manipulation by others or by their own ideals informed by my book, which resulted in a lack of freedom and authenticity. Hmm. Like you have to hide like stuff. If stuff goes like on, we were hiding that we were screwing around like crazy. I yeah. That. Right. Because we knew it wouldn't be accepted in the culture that we were in. But I think the lack of freedom, I feel like that's a big one. Um, and I really think the overprescription um, is very dangerous. I, I've learned in really the last five years because, yeah. you know, we got our ass kicked by some spiritual communities, but we were not uh, guilt free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to just come across as a victim because I feel I feel like we kind of created the monster that ended up eating us. Right. We fed into it all the time. So we were like very much promoting this world with this hierarchy where there's a way to live and we are doing it and we right. know it and we, we know it. are teaching you how to do it. Yep. And we're getting pat on the back for oh, it man, by crazy. people above us yes. in quotation marks. And you're below us until peop- you can live And the more. people below us were like fan people so that made us feel good so it's this whole system that makes you feel good and but there's this idea that i have this prescribed these prescribed answers more than the people below us and the people above me have the prescribed answers more than me Mm -hmm. so it was very um there was this huge emphasis on like kind of an answer um and yeah I mean, there was freedom within it, but you if you cross that line, you knew it real quick. Yeah. At least we found it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you don't know because you live some normal life and you're kind of quiet. But mm-hmm. for us, we've, we've bumped into it. Uh, yeah. It wasn't live and let live with us. Mm-mm. 
Do you want to read the next paragraph? Sure. Okay, so then... Oh, no, sorry, here. Yeah. True Love Waits abstinence campaign, which was a significant force during the period in which I wrote my book, much of what he writes can be applied to my book. All major campaigns, Grant writes, like political slogans, tend to be overly simplistic in order to be clear and effective. Okay, so he's quoting this guy named Grant who wrote this book. So this isn't actually... um, Joshua Harris's words. He's this, mm-hmm. this other guy. Yeah. And he's saying that this true love waits. Like anytime you have this phrase like this, that's like really simple. Right. You know? It's like a political campaign where it's just like, waits. make America great. Right. You know, right. Uh, vote for Trump and America will be great. Which right. like whatever you believe, that's like a very overly simplistic statement. Right. And true love waits implies if you don't wait, it's not true love. Right. And if you do wait, then it's true love. Right. That's that's the idea. You right. Get. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, damn, it's nice to be able to have something that simple, though. Right. And a hide behind that. Because um, at least you know where you stand and you know where everyone else stands. Yep. You feel like, oh, I'm doing a good job here. Hmm. But it's dangerous. In that, yeah, because everyone, no one's able to like toe toe those kinds of lines. So what happens is when you don't, it goes underground. You know, like if the culture you live in says porn is bad, but you watch porn, no one's gonna know about it. So if you say true love doesn't look secret, right? We just can't. We start printing T-shirts tomorrow to say that. Yeah. Which, I think a lot of porn is actually uh, negative, has is dangerous. So right, but I but to say porn, it all porn for all people for all the time for all time is is dangerous and wicked. Is simplistic. Is very simplistic, and a very dangerous thing to say to people for their for their own like. For their own spirituality. Which, by the way, even if you're of a biblical background, the Bible doesn't say true love waits. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's pretty, the Bible's pretty, like, for marriage. Mm-hmm. And pretty anti, like, promiscuity. Is that the word? Where you sleep with a bunch of people or animals or whatever. <laughs> Kind of. I mean, unless you're in the Old Testament, you had like multi, like polygamy all over the place. But yeah, but even then, I don't think the Bible really promotes that a whole ton. It's not saying like go and do this. No, it doesn't say that. But it certainly doesn't say marry one wife only, right? And put it on a t-shirt, and then God will love you and accept you. <laughs> now we have our own little experience. Like I want to talk about our week. Because we made a recording of a podcast, what, five episodes back that was about us going to a nudist resort. And um, then it came time to release it. So we released it, which we were holding our breath a little bit. It was Monday morning at 6 a.m. it came out. And I was like, Turns out that wasn't as big of a deal. But then the Instagram post was a 
probably a bigger well, because deal. not many people are going to listen to it. I mean, yeah. half the it, it's so much easier to look at Instagram posts. So we posted a picture of Cami at the um, nudist resort, not wearing clothes, not wearing clothes, but you know her little like bits were covered, and, and your bits are kind of little, some of them. <laughs> so it's fairly easy to do. Yep. Um, little black box. Some people didn't like it. Sorry, I'm lighting my cigar again. And some people did. <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about the ones that didn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, you, you, you pay attention to our subscribers. like. Yeah, I think, so Instagram world, they're called followers. Oh, yeah. And I think we lost somewhere between 100 and 150 after we posted that in the next, like, 24 hours. Which is fine. Yeah, we're not, like, complaining. But it was interesting. It, you know, it's interesting information. Yeah, I, what bit. was more interesting to me is some of the comments because people are saying this thing, like, I'm so disappointed in you. And I'm like, wait, disappointed that we uh, shared about what we did or disappointed about who you thought we were? Mm-hmm. Because we were probably never who you wanted us to be. I mean, maybe 20 years ago we were. <laughs> um, but all that to say, there's all these phrases of some of the people that were disappointed that they left in the comments. Like, you guys are conformed to this world. You guys are skewing scripture. Uh, this is a perversion and adherent behavior. Ben is sinning with his eyes. You know, kind of a lot, a lot of phrases which I've heard and I've used about myself and other people over the years. And now mm-hmm. I'm like a little bit more, I think it's a little more complicated than To that. be on the other side of that makes me realize how unhelpful and demeaning and judgmental that is. But like Ben said, we've been on both sides. We were on the side of saying these things to people. Well, I just don't see the world that way anymore. Right. I mean, because there was people back then, and my guess, there's people still now, that it is as simple as true love waits. Yeah. Like, when it comes to sex ed with your kids, that's what you say. It wasn't that long ago that that was as simple for me. Totally. I mean. Absolutely. So, th- I mean, this is really timing for me because I think mm-hmm. uh, Joshua Harris's some of his revelation or, or change mirrors ours. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more complicated than that because what do you say to the person that has had sex with 30 people, maybe 100 people, and they, let's say, want to become a Christian or something and or follow god or be a good person and they're like crap i screwed up yesterday and i had oral sex with somebody and we're like true love ways you know i mean like it's true in a way like standards are nice and and valuable and it's good to like call friends out when you know they're violating a standard that's going to be harmful to them if you guys have agreed to that i think but to hold everyone to my standard and be like well i'm a virgin well and say that this is god's standard Mm. it's one thing to say this is my standard but to claim this is god's standard when god has never blatantly said 
you know, I don't know. It's just, it's dangerous territory. In fact, in fact I think we have to talk about this because I feel like some of the Christians are going to bring this up. And I, I would have too. I don't blame you guys. In one of those verses, uh, it says, like, if any of you has looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's either Matthew 5, 6, or 7. It's in this his sermon thing. Mm-hmm. And if any of you guys have um, thought about someone angrily, this is Jesus talking, mm-hmm. then you've committed murder in your heart. Or it's the same. And Christians look at that and they say, see, this is why we shouldn't lust because it's the same as adultery. And essentially we use Jesus' statement to make it about, to mm-hmm. raise the standard of strictness. Which, I don't know, maybe this isn't the right place to say this, but like... I was reading Richard Rohr's book and he was saying that Jesus's whole point of making that wasn't to say stop lusting. It was actually just to level the playing fields for men and women and say like, you know, even if a woman, I guess maybe this is a different verse, but a woman divorces or even if a woman commits adultery, I don't know. I I forget, but I, I guess my point is like kind of what you're saying is people want it to say what they want it to say yeah yeah okay but that's a different verse yeah it is a different verse i guess <laughs> but i i know you had to get shout out to richard Gore, uh in here um yeah but i know but going back to that other verse he wasn't using this to raise the strictness of morality and say see all you guys are the worst mm-hmm. he was saying if you think that you're better than someone because you're saying oh i've never screwed a girl mm-hmm. or i've never killed anyone i'm awesome Right. Then you're wrong. You're just as bad as whoever you think the worst person is. So stop judging and being an asshole, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very different, yeah. you know, than saying no. The Bible is calling us then never to look at a woman, right? Or never to hate anyone or be angry at anyone. Like right. that's did, did that's Je- not what it's saying, right? In those verses, did Jesus ever intend for people to take these verses and thump people over the head with them and say like, hey? It was actually like a call to humility. Mm-hmm. So then um, Joshua Harris um, is reading this Aziz Ansari book, which I think he's kind of a funny guy. Um, and in that section, Aziz interviews the psychologist. Okay, this is getting like inception here, but this is what the psychologist had to say. There are two ways of thinking about satisfaction. One is the passionate compassionate love hedonic view that the best life would be the one with the most passion in it the other is a narrative view that the best life is about building a story if you take a narrative view there are different ways to accomplish at different stages of life dating and having these passionate flings are perfect when you're younger but some of the greatest joys of life come from nurturing uh, from what's called generativity my own experience of having children was that I discovered that there was room in my heart. There were rooms in my heart that I didn't even know were there. And I had committed to a life of repeated sexual if, flings. And if I had. And if yeah. I had committed to a life of repeated sexual flings, I never would have opened those doors. So basically he's saying like you can just like have uh, fantastic fucking flings um, and repeat the same pattern again, again, again. Or you can get old with someone and develop this much larger, deeper story that you can never do the other way. Um, 
So this is Joshua Harris's uh, interpretation of that. Without realizing it, Ansari is hitting on a very biblical understanding that life is about more than stringing together intense, pleasurable experiences. That's it. Um, Which, you know, the thing that drives me nuts about what Joshua Harris says is he said, without realizing it, Ansari is hitting on a very biblical understanding that life is about... Like, yes, it's biblical, but it's also scientific. It's narrative. It's artistic. It's scientific. Did I say that already? It's like psychological. It's it's. There's so many things that back up. It's that bigger than just biblical. Yes, I yes. mean you can say biblical, but then again, like the Bible, you know, doesn't really highlight this sexually a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it highlights. Yes, it is better to keep the long term in mind and not just live for the moment. Like, but. I don't want to get started on mortgages and the way that Christians <laughs> ignore the financial ways that that matters. Right. But, you know, so, but this is what I wanted to say about that is I really like that Aziz mentions this and highlights it for being true. And we believe it's true. I think our relationship, I've had moments, um, in the last year where I wonder, man, it'd be kind of fun to, you know, bang some young chick and live in that dating moment and like not know if you're going to like take a girl home or how far you're going to get like that. I think that's like really fun. Those like, yeah, those like dating honeymoon. It's like pre honeymoon, I guess, hunting passions. Right. But the older I've gotten, I mean, I used to fantasize about that all the time. Yeah. Um, like our first Which five I, marriage. I just got to say this because I think in the Christian world and even in the secular world, if people are hearing you say that, they're like, oh, that's so dishonoring to your wife and you should, you shouldn't have. And I'm just like, come on. Like I, first of all, I'm a big girl. Like I can handle it. And second of all, do you think I don't have any of those thoughts? Whoa, what are yours? Hang on. And third of all, and third of all, it's like, that's just being human. Like, let's not deny. If you're not having those thoughts, I think you're either an idiot or you're a liar. Yeah. Like there's, it's part of being human. There's fun aspects to new relationships. Otherwise people wouldn't do them. And that's, that's part of my beef with the churchianity I grew up with is people didn't acknowledge the whole person. And they, they, operate off what we thought things should be instead of how they actually were. But I think the case for monogamy is much stronger if you take into account the opposing arguments. Right. And you say, yeah, it's fun. It would be right. interesting. It'd be exciting for a little bit. Yep. But that doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be an either or. So, mm-hmm. but the experiences that I've had with you now, almost 20 years into a relationship, this sex is better than it's ever been and better than anything I think I could get off the street. Now it's not to say that it wouldn't be fun for a little bit, but I would actually choose this over that. And the other things that we built as a long-term monogamous relationship with children and our lifestyle and the trust, I just, I'm glad I made this choice. I mean, and Mm -hmm. it's an ongoing choice, but I would still choose it now. Yeah. Um, and Aziz is kind of showing this truth that like, hey, 
this monogamy thing, it's, it's kind of undersold in our culture today. People don't really understand it, and they don't really know what they're saying no to. So, and, and this has been our approach, and really, like this whole fight for together vlog thing, even like deciding to film on the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. it's been our stab at, instead of like morally trying to prove that other people are wrong, <laughs> which is an approach we probably took for a lot of time, actually, mm-hmm. just saying, hey, we think... Um, a married couple with a lot of kids is something that's getting geez we, this is gonna be a long <laughs> freaking podcast today sorry not sorry <laughs> um instead of trying to prove on moral grounds to people that they're wrong because i'm not <laughs> my code doesn't allow me to have fun with young chicks mm-hmm we've chosen to show people what our life looks like because I think it kind of kicks ass. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to take credit for like uh, being super awesome. Um, but I actually think um, the fact when we made a vlog episode about this, I just saw it recently that it was called like the best sex ever after 18 years. The reason why I made that isn't to flaunt our sex life, but it's because I was never told that we'd be having the best sex of our life 18 years later. I thought the best sex of your life was on your honeymoon, which, yeah, by the way, sucked for us and that people above 60 don't have good sex i mean i think that's a lie well we'll find out (laughs) i guess we'll find out but it could be true i i'm committed to it not being true i've heard rumors that it's not true for everyone (laughs) but i don't know a lot of people their broken ass monogamous relationship i look at it and i'm like i don't want to be like you Mm -hmm. so i'm like so and then you're just telling everyone else that they're wrong right where your life looks like it sucks like you're if you're trying to sell something you're not doing a good job so what i'm excited about for us is i i'm really happy with um the family structure that we've been i i would say blessed with and in some ways we've chosen Mm -hmm. i think it's worked out really good and i want to share that story with people so that so they don't give up on marriage or kids or think that kids ruin your life that kind of thing mm-hmm. okay yeah okay last paragraph are you gonna read this yes please all right here right yeah okay regarding the prescriptions offered by my book reading eberstadt has led me to wonder if the central problem with them is not that they went too far but that they didn't go far enough what i mean is that i suspect that a weakness of my book is that it prescribed overly superficial solutions, like don't date, to problems that actually require much deeper and more comprehensive transformation of thinking and values. So the need for Christians is not to be less radical, but to be radical in the ways that are more fundamental and far-reaching in their effect on our lives. So he's kind of saying, okay, the book had some problems, but maybe the problems were not that it didn't go too far, but that it didn't go far enough. Now, he never goes on to explain what that really means. Yeah. Um, and I actually agree with him, but I have... This paper left me really... I don't want to say empty feeling. That sounds kind of weird. But um, it, it didn't conclude much. Mm-hmm. Like... Hey, can you guys not move around up there? We're trying to record a podcast, please. Thank you. <laughs> we got back from date night early, so the kids are still awake. Yeah. Um, 
Like but, the, this paragraph is, I don't really, I kind of understand it a little bit, but it's kind of vague. It's really vague, and but it's just a paragraph. Um, yeah. But he never really says in his book like what he believes. Uh, yeah. Now, like if he were to write the book again, or what what you know what sexual morality is, uh, your smoke is going right at my face for some reason. Oh, sorry. I forgive you, but. Um. So I get a little nervous though when I read this because the the feeling that I got from the book and the books that he was reading and the way he was reporting on them was that okay the code I gave you was wrong was over specific and it was like for a certain day and age that didn't apply to everyone so let's come up with a new code that fits for today right that's what I felt made me a little nervous and I was like maybe the problem isn't that the code is out of date maybe there's a problem with coming up with a code that Jesus never himself came up with right and enforcing that upon ourselves and others mm-hmm in a way where we're the judge, jury, and executioner. And just one transformation. Please don't run up there. We're trying to do a podcast. Thank you. <laughs> it's going to be a lost cause. I know. Um, you know, one some vocabulary that you and I have adopted better, because I think this all has to... Whoa, that, you're... $200 jackets under your cigar, just so you know. There we go. Um, uh, okay, so the ultimate trump card for Christians is to say that's a sin. Mm-hmm. And when you say that, it's like, no game, brainer. Game over. You gotta stop. Yeah. And then if you disagree, you're basically like liberal, You're just justifying your sin. And justifying your behavior. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. If we're gonna burn hell... Let's burn. (laughs) The thing that we've come to believe is that we've actually, uh, the way that we (sighs) use that definition is very self-serving. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of a moral code that is actually very cultural. And uh, I also feel like it's a cop-out where people don't have to think for themselves if they just say, oh, what you're doing doesn't make sense to me, therefore it's a sin. Or I don't like it. I don't like it. Or I choose not to do it. Mm -hmm. Um. So, and I actually do believe in sin. Um, like, I don't have, like, a solid definition for you, and I don't feel like I need to provide it, but I, I believe sin is, like, a fractured relationship. It's, like, um, results in separation. Um, so I don't know all that entails, but that's, I, I do believe in it. Um, but I don't feel as confident to say, that's a sin therefore you shouldn't do it period in a story um now i do believe in sin and i do believe in something else i do believe that the bible and other things by the way whether it's science and psychology and a lot of things point to better ways and i have no problem saying i think monogamy works better in the long run and i think having kids is a better investment than not if you have the choice. Uh, now, that has, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, if you're not in monogamy, then you are in sin. Or if you're not having kids or using birth control, you're in sin or whatever. And then that I feel like that whether or not it's true, I feel like your brain almost just stops working 
and you've like uh, moralistically categorized people in a way that's mm-hmm. just like it's like mic drop, but like inappropriately. Yeah, it's like kills the conversation. Yeah. And it's not helpful. I don't even think it's helpful to me. It wasn't helpful to me, even when I thought I was the superior one, mm-hmm. to just, like, say, like, you're insane. Eh. Um, and like I said, like, I guess I want to share one story uh, that really shattered my viewpoint in a lot of stuff. It was when we were in Israel the last time. I don't know. It was a year or two ago. And... Um, our tour guide was telling us a story of some Old Testament story. I think it's Judah. It, was it Tamar? Was that her name? Okay. Yeah, Judah and Tamar. So Judah, uh, I'm going to mess the story up, but <laughs> Tamar was married to Judah's son. So that was her daughter-in-law. And uh, her husband died. So his son died. And according to the law and customs, she was supposed to get remarried to one of the brothers, brothers or something like that. And none of the brothers will do it because it's like bad luck or they think that they're going to die. She was like some mm-hmm. sort of black widow or character or something. Yeah. So she takes off to go to her Philistine town, which was like kind of bad part of town. And when he's traveling through, and this is in the Bible. Well, hold on. I think he promised her to the youngest son, but then but, he never, didn't follow he didn't fall through with it. Okay. So then she goes to her town. She goes to her hometown and then... The dude is traveling through Philistines. This is uh, Judah now, who's like one of the 12 tribe leader kingpin guys. And homegirl dresses up like a prostitute. And he has sex with her. They have sex. And she, he doesn't like have something to pay with, so she jacks his stuff, like his ring and cloak or he, staff he, or something. He gives, yeah, her his staff, and then which is the equivalent of a passport. Apparently. And then she bails. Yeah. So he's like hanging there with his dick out of his pants with none of his stuff. So he just goes back home. Then they find out she's pregnant. Okay, with his kid, but his grandson. But they just. F- but all they know is she's pregnant. Yeah, they don't know. Because she was dressed up, right? Yeah. So then they're like, okay, sweet. Bring her into town and we'll stone her. Because she's always been sleeping around and she was, wasn't supposed to be. alive. Yeah. We're going to kill her. Yep. Makes sense, right? So then she shows up and then he's like, all right, we're going to kill you. And she's like, wait a second. You want to find out who was screwing me? And then she brings out his stuff. And mm-hmm. he's like, fuck. Right. I have your, <clears throat> this is your child. So then, as the story goes, there's a lot of ways this could go. It could be like, okay, you bitch of a whore that, you know, lied and deceived and prostituted yourself. Like, you're the bad guy here. We should kill you. But no, that's not how the story goes. And that's not even like God didn't strike her down with lightning or anything. As the story goes, Judah realized how bad he had screwed up. And he said, you're, meaning her, Tamar, you're more righteous than I. Which is weird. And and our tour guide's um, explanation of this, because this was a women of the Bible tour, by the way. Our tour guide's explanation was that in God's eyes, Tamar was more righteous because she was believing in the promises of God. And God, what he is excited more than anything is like, we're his kids. And he wants us to trust and believe in his inheritance that he's going to give us, uh, mm-hmm. his kingdom. Um, so... And sorry if you're getting lost here, but 
this is this was like a really informative story to me because so Tamar was living into those promises. Like she was saying, I want to be a part of this family that God chose, and I'm willing to prostitute myself, like sneak around, lose my dignity in order to do this. And she probably knew like she was probably very likely going to get killed too. And she probably knew she was going to get pregnant. Like mm-hmm. our 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 um tour guide is like you know women aren't idiots <laughs> right I um, think she knew what she was doing she wasn't like oh dang I got pregnant right For, um, forgot my birth control <laughs> so uh, but at the time all I could think about was like oh my gosh if I was judge jury and executioner morally speaking I would have been like she's a prostitute prostitute right. is she, bad she deceived me and then she slept with her father-in-law she, yeah like that was wrong and bad uh-huh. and all that. And I wouldn't have ever been able to see past that. Right. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many people in our life where I, the way I, the communities I was, I grew up in, you categorize people as like virgins or not. Mm-hmm. And this is like a lot of the stuff we've been reading about and what Joshua Harris is responding to is like this kind of like purity culture movement or anti-purity culture because you know, there's like what the Bible says about holiness, but then there's this whole like culture that got created around it, which is, I don't want to say it's bad, but I don't think it's good either. And when you're confusing it with what the Bible actually says, and it's creating all these outsiders and shame for people that don't fit into it, mm-hmm. it actually, I think, is very dangerous. Yeah. That was a long freaking yeah. story. I don't know if that was worth it. But for me, it just made me realize, oh my gosh, I don't think I know what the Bible says anymore in terms of the things that were the most important to me, which was saving sex for marriage or true love weights. I mean, I knew that phrase. I had right. it memorized. Or don't me. have sex outside of marriage. Yeah. I was like, okay, I think some of that stuff's important, but maybe it's not like, I don't know what level, how important it is compared to like Jesus had all this time on earth, but he didn't really talk about that kind of stuff a whole lot at mm-hmm. all. <laughs> yeah. Like, are we majoring on these minor things when and forgetting the actual important things? Okay. We got a phone call, which is kind of exciting, related to this topic. I need to play our little phone thing because I don't get to very often. Here it is. So I read I Kissed Dating Goodbye when I was 13. A friend of a friend had kind of passed it around our group of friends. I grew up in downtown Seattle, so it wasn't anything that was like part of the culture I was in it wasn't like I went to a conservative youth group or had even like biblical beliefs at the time so to me and my group of friends it was a really interesting book that kind of almost introduced us to like looking at the way we lived and how our friendships and the going out culture we were part of where everyone just dated and dated and dated until college um it just kind of changed our viewpoint we actually had like big debates about it I remember at lunchtime we were talking about it and it just kind of changed the whole way we looked at dating it certainly changed the way I looked at dating I stopped dating until I was 18 because of the book Hmm. that's Heidi I don't know if she got cut off there but I would have liked to have heard how she feels about that now but it doesn't sound very negative yeah it's interesting that it didn't sound like a negative thing for her Unless we didn't hear all the story. But. And, you know, I don't blame Joshua Harris for this book for my kind of jacked up viewpoints. I think it was reflective of um, the culture, what, what I was looking for. The culture we were already in. Yeah. Yeah. And 
but I, I think hearing Heidi ta- you know leave that message is a valuable reminder for me and this is kind of where I want to end off is um, I'm glad Joshua Harris is coming clean so to speak and apologizing and making right the fact that he's grown and changed and doesn't believe that anymore and is willing to own up to some of the negative impact that that message had. Mm-hmm. But I doubt it was all negative. You know, I'm sure it was positive for some it's, people. It's mixed, I'm sure. And yeah. I think that's what our whole lives are. You know, for me, I look back and and I'm like, geez, I don't, a lot of things I don't believe anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm like wondering how much do I beat myself up and apologize? And I'm like, I think it's important to, to go to people and to say, hey, you know, we, uh, we believed this then. And I'm really sorry that it had this impact on you. But I think it's just as cool to be able to say, isn't it cool I don't believe that anymore? Like yeah. we've changed, we've grown, we've we've moved past that and built upon it, you know, because maybe a lot of that book existing is why we're even here now, you know, even if yeah. we don't think it's the truest thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anything else you want to say? Nope. This was obviously a longer episode, and I thought about breaking it up into two episodes, but I think it is one conversation that I I'm just gonna we're just gonna have a longer episode today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but plenty to talk about in this area, and yeah, I I feel like I should like say something to you guys the listeners about your experience and how i hope that you're able to apply something in your life or something but i don't have anything to say actually um so what am i supposed to read here off our little paper thing i was on that other thing too Um, you don't have a prescription for people i can make one up don't don't have sex less than once a week (laughs) okay Uh, If you think that this was helpful to you, and if you think of other people who you think this podcast would be helpful to them, if you could maybe consider sharing it with those people, that's, we we don't put really any emphasis on advertising this thing. Um, Although I did tag that um, YouTube video with nudism or nudity or something like that. And it got 15,000 views, which is a giant pain in the ass because, mm-hmm. you know, it just brings out like people that are probably looking to see naked chicks. and then, But they really <laughs> get you and I talking. And I think they're, and they're disappointed. Like, yeah, sorely so, disappointed. So the next podcast we should record with our clothes off. <laughs> um, and we don't have any funding for this. And these cigars aren't free. So if you would like to buy us a cigar, <laughs> you could do so at Patreon. Um, uh, or if you want to fund this podcast. Uh, then you're welcome to do that. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to leave for future recordings, you can do so on the Anchor app. Uh, And as always, there's like a discussion group that we have. That's a Facebook discussion group that's private. And it's not working. I don't, like people aren't really discussing much, but I I feel like there's so much potential after these types of episodes for people to share their stories and... Hmm and really get into some of these things because my guess is not everyone believes so if anyone has any tips on how to make that work discussion group not better (laughs) uh we'd be open to that but yeah i I really would like to see it if it's helpful for you guys to for have this be the conversation starter not the beginning and end Mm -hmm. but whatever um okay cool that is all
fight for together. 